Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. Steve Ray, my good friends, filling in for Jesse today on this Monday. Steve, thanks for joining us again, my brother. You're welcome, Terry. I'm glad to join you always. Uh, oh, we yeah. not only have the ha same hairstyle, but we also have the same theology and passion for the truth and the deposit <laughs> of the faith. Well, but one thing you have that I don't have is two good knees. <laughs> That's true, Steve. You're recovering, but uh, you're doing well, I take it, my brother? Yeah, at six, five weeks ago, I had both of my knees replaced. I have no idea what hit me, Terry. Oh, my God. I, when I woke up from that, I said, what in the world did I get myself into? <laughs> For two weeks, I thought I'd made a huge mistake. But now that I'm six weeks into it, yeah. I'm yeah. up and around walking again. Right. It's uh, right. still very painful, a lot of work to do. But it. at least yeah. I did it, and it's oh, the worst of it's behind me, and I'm going to be leading pilgrimages again for the next 30 years. Wonderful. Steve, before we get to the gospel, I want people always uh, two or three times and when you're on how they can contact you for these pilgrimages. What website do we want to send them to, please? Everything's at catholicconvert.com. And I also wrote, wrote four blogs, which are meditations on what it's like to get your knees replaced. But if you go to my blog, you have to scroll down a couple of weeks. But uh, it's there. a lot of people said they were worth reading Good. about the, uh, you know, suffering and uh, offering up the pain. Oh, yeah. and, uh only God could relate to me at that point in the pain because even my wife was there, but she didn't feel what I was feeling, but only the Lord could. It was, it was quite an intense month yeah. and uh, glad it's over and glad I'm uh, getting out of it now, Terry. Well, glad I'm back on the radio with you. Thank you, Steve. And we're going to be talking about the most important topic about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And who were these witnesses that witnessed that? Because without the resurrection, our faith is useless as St. Paul would say. But before we get to this topic, the Gospel of the Day is from St. John, Gospel uh, chapter 16, verse 29 to 33. I'll just read it, Steve, and then I want to get your commentary. And by the way, folks, he wrote a book published by Ignatius Press on this Gospel of John. You can go to catholicconvert.com. I'm sure you can pick it up there, and he usually discounts them. All right, a reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. The disciples said to Jesus, Now you are, are talking plainly and not in any figurative of speech. Now we realize that you know everything and that you do not need to have anyone question you. Because of this, we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you believe now? Behold, the hour is coming and has arrived when each of you will be scattered to his own home and will leave me alone. But I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you this, that you might have peace in me. In the world, you will have trouble, but take courage. I have conquered the world. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Steve, give us a short commentary on that gospel, please. Well, I, I just take note of the last few words there. I have overcome the world. Yeah. You know, Terry, it really, it doesn't look to me like he has. <laughs> I mean, we look at the world today and it's yeah, chaos. Even the church is in chaos. Our country's in chaos. People are in chaos. That's true. People are trying to figure out if they're a boy or a girl. <laughs> they're trying to figure out what's true. And I mean, come on. He said he's overcome the world. That was 200, 2,000 years ago he said that. And it still doesn't look like he has. But I know he's the Lord. Amen. And when he says that, he has overcome the world. He's done everything he needs. He's still working in the world today. I think that he would bring it all to an end if he didn't love people so much. It says, consider the patience of the Lord as your salvation. 
I'm still waiting for those few more people to believe, and uh, he's he's doing his work. But you know, these disciples, they're pretty much dunderheads, and they <laughs> have been all along. And even after the resurrection, they say to him in Acts chapter one, is it now time for you to reestablish Israel? In other words, where's your white horse and your sword? Where's your army? Let's go fight the Romans. Mm -hmm. They still have no clue what he's trying to do. They don't understand that it's a spiritual kingdom he's trying to build. And he's not going to come galloping in on his white horse that same day and beat the Romans. So when he, he tells them this and they said, well, we now believe. We know you've come from God. And he said, I think when he said, do you now believe? My, my guess is he answered. He said, oh, really? You think you really believe? In a couple of days, guys, you're going to abandon me. Exactly. Peter, you're going to deny me. Judas, you're going to betray me. Mm. The rest of you are all going to run like chickens, rock, 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 running away from me. <laughs> and you think you really now believe? Do you know what believe means? It means to give your life. It means believe doesn't mean two plus two is four. I believe that. Believe means that you are committed. You have heard You've listened and you now will follow and you take it and you will follow it to the end. You believe in him to the point of obedience. The word believe has embedded in it the concept of obedience. So the hour is coming and indeed has come when you'll all be scattered. You think you believe in me, right? Each to his own home. Yeah, you believe in me, right? You're all going to leave me alone, but I'm not alone because the father is with me. I've said these things to you that you may have peace. Peace now or peace later? Peace later. Because he also says in this passage, after leaving the upper room, that the Holy Spirit, the advocate's going to come and bring to your memory everything that I told you. That promise isn't to you and me, Terry. That promise was to these disciples, these apostles. And they will remember after because the Holy Spirit's going to bring it back to them. And they'll say, oh, remember that? He told us this was all going to happen. He was right. And then they'll have peace because they know that he is true. Wow. Thanks for that commentary. On the on a short notice, Steve, God bless you. Steve, how do yeah, like people get your book, The Gospel of John? It's on my website, catholicconvert.com. Go to the products Got it. up on the message. And I have them. And if you buy them from me, uh, it's a little more than if you buy them from Amazon. Mm -hmm. But you get them quickly, and they're signed, and it helps our family. And I, I just be honest with you, I don't buy it from Amazon for various reasons. So don't go to Amazon. I'll tell you that right up front. Go to Steve, go to CatholicConvert.com. And my he, daughter, Bella, yep, you know her. Of course. My daughter, Bella, the next day after the order, will ship it to you, and it's signed. Awesome. Steve, this is a topic I'd like to talk about today with you. People who witness the risen Christ, take it from the Acts of Apostles, and you've got a whole... Uh, presentation. I want to take as much time as possible for you to communicate uh, what took place uh, in those first 40 days. And uh, let's go, let's get right into it, my brother. Well, I like Acts chapter one, verse three. It mm -hmm. kind of says everything. Now, you, you know that I lead pilgrimages to yep. the Holy Land. You've been with me. Yes, you I and have. Your wife. And uh, we visit these places that Jesus appeared after his resurrection. It's a 40 day period. Mm -hmm. Resurrection to the Ascension, he appeared in different places. Different because he was with them all the time before, but now he's kind of popping in and popping out whenever he feels like it. Mm -hmm. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs. This is scientific. It's proof. We have evidence. And in 
uh, appearing to them for 40 days, speaking of the kingdom of God. So for 40 days, he brought them many proofs. And in 1 Corinthians 15, which is called the resurrection chapter, Paul goes through and lists all of these people. And he said he hadn't appeared to 500 at one time. Wow. And most of them are still alive and can testify <laughs> to it today. So if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, you are an idiot. This is evidence <laughs> you have to believe. It's not a leap of faith. Right. It's not just saying, I believe in something. I hope it's true. No, we have evidence for it. We have proof for it. 500 brothers saw him risen from the dead. Thomas stuck his finger at his side. And even said, my Lord and my God, because he really, and he was the skeptic of the age. So if you don't believe, Paul says, then you're really a fool and an idiot because we have proof of it. Why don't you really tell me what you think? Okay, Steve, this is good stuff. What about um, the resurrection appearances? Can you name a few places where this took place early in the, I call it the first, you know, early Christianity. Tell us about that. Well, the first one we have mentioned is Mary Magdalene. At the tomb, right. It meets him at the tomb because she goes there very early. But I, I will say Tell me. that I really believe that Mary, the mother of Jesus, it, 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 the saints have believed it. And, That's right. you know, yeah. Mary didn't want to be forefront. She was very humble woman, yep. a girl, and she didn't want to be out in the forefront. And she was there at the cross. Right. She was there at the changing of water into wine. We know she was there in a lot of places. The Bible doesn't say she was there on the day of Pentecost. Right. But the Bible does only tells she's there when it's super important, when there's something very significant about it. And I don't have time to tell why those three are very super significant, which they are. But I believe that we'll start with this, that Mary, Jesus revealed herself himself to his mother. And so she knew because she's the one that heard 33 years earlier, a sword's going to pierce your soul also. <laughs> and she didn't know what that meant. And she finally found out at the crucifixion. And do you think Jesus wouldn't have said, Mom, I'm alive again. Don't worry. Here I am. Uh, I've come to, to save the world. But anyway, the first recorded one, though, is Mary Magdalene. Right. And she is called the Apostolorum Apostola, which means the first apostle. Now that, I'll just quickly give a definition of why is she called the first apostle? Because the word apostle means one who is sent. Look it up in the Greek. Apostle, one who is sent. She is the first. Jesus said, go and tell. I'm sending you to the other apostles. Go and tell them I'm alive. Mary was the first sent one. She went there and told him. So she is the Apostolorum Apostola, the first apostle or the apostle of the apostles. So she saw him. And, and you know, one of the things I like, Terry, I'm going to di digress here a little bit, is that when um, John tells about Jesus's crucifixion, it's in a garden. Yep. And he tells us it's in a garden. Why? Because the first Adam brought sin and destruction to the world in a garden. And now the new Adam also has to be in a garden to reverse it all. The first Adam was in a garden at a tree of life. The new Adam is in a garden at the tree of death. And what did Mary Magdalene mistake him for? Hang on. That's a teaser. We got to take a quick break. Okay. What did they mistake him for? When we come back, you'll find out more on the Terry and Jesse show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. Steve Ray, CatholicConvert.com. Check his website out. Steve, you had a teaser right here at the end of the break. 
You're going to give us a little surprise here. Can't you tell us what we were talking about, about the resurrection and the appearances of who was who were the first ones there? Go ahead. Well, Jesus is the new Adam, so he had to go into a new garden because he's rewinding what the first Adam right. screwed Makes up. Makes sense. Yeah. And so he's now at a tree of death and he brings about life. And John makes us know that the cross and the tomb were in a garden. You don't think of a gallows or an electric chair being in a garden. And yet that's where Jesus was crucified and buried. And to make sure that we understood the parallel with the old Adam in the old garden, I think it's a little pun. He's, he makes Mary Magdalene mistake Jesus for the gardener. gardener yeah. <laughs> and now what was Adam in the first garden? He was the gardener. Yep. What's Jesus now? He's the new gardener. So anyway, that's the yeah. first appearance. The second one, yep. uh, he appears to James. Now, most people think that's James, the son of John, the son of, Ze I mean, a brother of John and the son of Zebedee. James and John, Peter and Andrew. But that's not that James. This James is the one who's called the brother or the cousin of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And he did not believe up until it's probably a cousin, or I, I like to hold to the position that Joseph was an older man who had, um, who had, um, he was a widower and had older mm -hmm. stepbrothers of Reasonable Jesus. Reasonable to think like that. Right. And I could, I think I can justify that pretty well. And so James would have been one of those. James, Judas, there's four of them. And they did not believe up until the resurrection yeah. and the day of Pentecost. They were there, those brothers of the Lord, their stepbrothers or cousins, whatever the church hasn't defined it. And he was one of them and he didn't believe, but he saw the resurrection and he believed because as he appeared to James and he's also the one that wrote the book of James, by the way, and became the Bishop of Jerusalem and then to all of the apostles. So he, Jesus appeared to his cousin or his brother, stepbrother James, and then to all of the apostles, where that happened, we don't know. It doesn't tell us. You know, I'm really upset with the gospel writers, Terry. <laughs> they don't tell me all the stuff I want to know. I have an insatiable curiosity. I want to know all these things. But, but Steve, don't, at the end of the book of John, didn't he say, if there wouldn't be a book big enough to tell you I all know, what Jesus I did? I know, but that's still no excuse. <laughs> I love it. Steve, you know what it feels <laughs> like? Right. I, met, I met Denny's talking to you about Jesus and the resurrection, and I have many people at our table. I just want to thank you for speaking the language of the people, too, because this is important to all of us. I, I don't think you're the only one who wished you had more answers at the gospel. We all do. Oh, of course. There's so many things I'd like to know. Yeah. Well, the third one that's yeah. mentioned, and Paul mentions this in 1 Corinthians 15, yeah. if you want to know, that's called the resurrection chapter. Yep. 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection. And that's where he says all of these witnesses, and therefore you're stupid if you don't believe it. But here he says the next one he listens says 500 brethren. Wow. Now, that's not refer that's not including women, because we know even when Jesus fed the 5,000, that was the men only. Right. And plus the women and children. So this 500 is just the brothers. It may have been 1,500 if you want to add the women and the children and everybody else. We don't know. Sure. And we don't know where this happened. There's a lot of speculation about it, but nobody knows where that took place. But it's very powerful witness. Amen. Well, J Steve, you know what? I just feel like I'm taking a, a class right now on the uh, appearances of our Lord uh, early in the church. Um, when you say 500 brethren, we got all that. What about the uh, shore of Galilee? Uh, there's another uh, uh, time at that, with the, I think was uh, John 21, 14. And this right. was like the, uh, the third time Jesus 
revealed to to disciples. Can you talk a little bit about that, please? Yeah, he told them to meet me up in Galilee, mm -hmm. and we'll get to where he specifically said. You've been there, haven't you? Well, a hundred times, uh, two hundred times. Yeah. I've been to the Holy Land two hundred times. We're heading back four more times this year. And let me interrupt you because I want people to sign up. Sorry, I and I get nothing out of this, folks. You know what I get? Because I know what happens when people go to the Holy Land. It changes their lives. Go to CatholicConvert.com. Continue. I'm, I'm going to be your best okay, advertisement. A little more, but there's a lot of reasons for that. Go to www.21questionstoask.com and you'll see why. Yeah. Anyway, so he these guys, see, they're still not sure what to do. Okay. They went up to Galilee, like he said to them, and they go back to Capernaum because yeah. obviously they're going back to their own beds. They're not going to sleep on the ground. Nope. And uh, they didn't have a Hilton hotel back in those days. So they go back to their old house on the shores of Galilee. And where's the Lord? He's not here and it's getting night. So Peter says, you know what? I'm going to go fishing. And the other guy says, we'll go with you. And they went out fishing all night. What happened there? Peter doesn't know what he's supposed to do. He doesn't understand yet what it means to be a fisher of men and shepherd of sheep and all those things. And so he goes out fishing. And I think that Jesus uses that against him in a way. Mm -hmm. When they come to the shore in the morning and Jesus said to him, remember he asked him three times, do you love you me, love me. Yeah, on the of shore? Of course. And Jesus says, do you love me more than these? What was he referring to? Good question. I think he was referring to the fish. There you go. There was somebody had right in the presence of Jesus, somebody had counted. They were so greedy. They had counted. There's 153 fish. How did we know that unless somebody took the time to count them? <laughs> they weren't paying attention to the Lord. They were paying attention to their old career. And they were deciding whether they were going to go back to make money at fishing or whether they were going to hang around with this Jesus guy who keeps disappearing on them now. And so Jesus said, do you love me more than these? Mm -hmm. So that is the third time that he reveals himself to them on the shore of Galilee. But what he really said, and if you want to know why, where he had originally told them to go, in Matthew chapter 28, we know the Great Commission, go into all the world, and preach the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching all the nations, and lo, I'll be with you until the end of the age. You know that great commission at the end of the Gospel of Matthew? If you read two verses earlier, it says, meet me at the mountain in Galilee. Mm -hmm. Where's that mountain? There's only one mountain in Galilee. It's right in the Jezreel Valley. You can see it from Nazareth. It is Mount of Transfiguration, Mount Tabor. And he wanted to take him up there because he's going to tell him, go into all the world. And from the top of that mountain, you can see the whole world. And he's, drama. go out into all the world. So, get mountain. Keep going, Steve. That music, we're going to continue. It's not time for a break yet. Keep going, brother. That, all right. Yeah, okay. That, that comment. Oh, I'm you very just... obedient when that music comes. I yeah. shut up. Yeah. Anyway, so I think that Jesus told him to meet me at the mountain because he loved a good backdrop. That's right. He was a great teacher. That's right. And he's up there and he says, go into all. I think he swung his arms out because at the top of that mountain, it's 1900 feet above the plains That's of high. Jezreel. Wow. You can see mountain of Gilboa. You can see the Jordan Valley. You can see all around Israel. And it's like you go out into all the world, you guys preach the gospel, baptize. That's why he told them to go meet him up at the mountain. And that's where he was also transfigured, where three of them saw his divinity there. And now they saw the fulfillment of his divinity having raised from the dead. And now he's telling them what to do. So that was another time that he met them. And I know we got to rush because we're running out of time. Well, let me just jump in and say, yeah. 
that transfiguration that took place at Mount Tabor, uh, you showed Matthew 28 and the Great Commission. You just kind of touched on that. I think that's the critical thing about how it can be applied to us today. Where is this Great Commission? We have a situation right now where the world is so mixed up. You said it at the beginning of the show. We can't even tell the difference between a, a man and a woman in our culture. There's more need for the gospel than ever because of the confusion in the world. Am I onto something? Gospel doesn't just mean good news. It also means sanity. <laughs> yeah, you got that right, partner. Steve, we got a couple minutes before the break. Can we shift gears to the upper room? Yes. Uh, yeah, let's talk about that. Very important one. In the beginning of the Gospel of John, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, right. and then he makes this outrageous statement. Yeah. And the Word was God, and yeah. the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Wow. In other words, he's saying, I want you to know, guys, I'm going to say something very drastic here, yeah. but this curly-haired Jewish guy with camel dung between his toes, yep. he's God. I like that description. And everybody says, no, because the Old Testament be? says that God is not a man. No one can see God and live. How can that guy be God? He's sweating. He stinks from perspiration. I mean, come on. How can he be God? And John says, I'm going to prove it to you. I've got 21 chapters. And then he goes through the whole book of John and he gives seven signs to prove it. Now, the word, the gospel of John never uses the word miracle. It never uses the word miracle once. There are seven signs, and those signs point you to something. What do they point you to? To the divinity of Christ. So in the upper room, when he finally meets them up there twice, the first time after the resurrection, he comes right through the door. Oh, no, he didn't come even through the door. He walked, just appeared in the room. He never did that before. And he appears in the room. Thomas is not there. And then he leaves. Wow. Then Thomas comes and they said, Jesus was here. He's risen from the dead. Thomas said, I am the skeptic of the age. I'm the atheist. <laughs> I am the doubter. Yeah. I am not going to believe unless it's proved to me. Kind of like the, the skeptic of the age. Yeah. Jesus appears in the room and he says, come here, buddy. Come over here. <laughs> put your finger in my hands and put your hand in my side. And Je Thomas, John had said in the beginning he was going to prove that Jesus was God. What does the skeptic say at the end? Tom, John is smart. He leaves the doubter, the skeptic, the unbeliever. He lets him make the final statement. Yeah. And what does Thomas say? My Lord and my God. God. John proved his point. Thomas believes. And I think he gets a bad rap. We call him Doubting Thomas. But after that point, he was believing Thomas. And he went farther than any of the other apostles. He went all the way to India. And if I can just jump in and say, this is a great opportunity to apply that quote when we receive Holy Communion or at the elevation of the host and saying, my Lord and my God, the belief in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. We need to, we, we need to promote that and proclaim that because, you know, the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. Yep. Steve, I just want to say one more thing. I, I know that sounds like I'm a broken record, but I want people to go on your pilgrimages because every time I've gone, it's been life-changing. So again, CatholicConvert.com. And what were you saying about the, the 21 questions? Can you repeat that? Because I didn't catch it myself. Well, what I have a website called 21QuestionsToAsk.com. Yeah. Okay. And I give 21 questions mm -hmm. to ask you know, not all pilgrimages are created equal, Terry. For sure, I've been. I can. I can attest to that. Some are very good, and some are not good at all. Both. And some. Some people will come home 
thrilled and changed in their life and others will come up disappointed and upset. Um, so I wrote, I gave out 21 questions to ask before you go on a pilgrimage to make sure you're going on the right one. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, that would be good for people to check out catholicconvert.com. Steve, I want to also mention something. I have your, your son came on and I want to give a plug to this. He came on yep. last week, talked about how we can raise some funds for young people to go on your pilgrimages. Do you mind just, do you still have that in your head? How people? Yes, and it's on my blog today. Okay. If you go on my Twitter, Facebook, or blog today, mm -hmm. I put that up. It's called Inheritance Pilgrimages. Uh -huh. We got the idea from the Jews, <laughs> and they are sometimes much smarter than us Catholics. That's true. And the Jews bring 50,000 young Jewish people from the United States wow. to Israel to give them their birthright. And they bring them there and they make them proud to be Jewish. We are now starting to take young people, young Catholic people, to the Holy awesome. Land so they learn their inheritance, so they will not leave the faith when they go through college. And when we come back, we'll tell you how you can support that very worthy project. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. Steve Ray joining us here. Steve, you were talking about your project of bringing young people to the Holy Land, and I wanted people to uh, consider seriously supporting this financially and prayerfully. How can people support this project? And if you have grandsons and daughters who need to be immersed in the Bible for a week so they'll never lose their faith, send them with my son, Jesse. It's called inheritancepilgrimages.com. And we are getting donations from people so that we can give scholarships and right. we can help these young people who cannot afford. We are doing it very, very cheap. We're not staying at fancy hotels. We're not eating fancy meals. But we're seeing the places of Jesus and Mary. So inheritancepilgrimages.com. And you can donate there if you want to help young people. Every penny of it's going to make this happen. And um, my right. son is kind of standing on my shoulders. What Good. I've done. Over the last 27 years, he's now building off of that to help other young people. So um, my kids, there's four of them, and they are devout Catholics. Awesome. And if you ask any of them, yes. why are you devout Catholics and raising Steve's 20 grandkids to be devout Catholics? I'll say part of the reason is because dad took us to the Holy Land when we were young. Uh, they did. They told me that. Uh, Steve, I'm not sure if we're at the road to Emmaus because I know there's so much yep, material. We are. Okay, let's get onto it. We're not actually there. It would take us about 12, 13 hours to fly to get there. But we can we can pretend we're there. there but go. this is this is one of those passages in in Luke 24 where I'm really unhappy with Luke because he said, and Jesus explained to them how all of the law and the prophets referred to him. Yeah. So this was probably the most powerful homily or talk ever given by Jesus himself, explaining how the Old Testament is referring to him. And these guys still didn't get it. Oh my gosh. Not until he was revealed to them in the breaking of the bread, which is the Eucharist. Amen. But this is this, they walked together for a long time and Jesus explained to them how all of the prophecies of the Old Testament referred to him and his crucifixion. And what an amazing thing. I wish I could have been a fly sitting on the shoulder of Cleopas, who was one of the guys there. I would have loved to have been a fly just sitting on his shoulder, listening to everything Jesus said on that road to Emmaus. Wow, I love it. Now, what about the Mount of Olives and uh, you know, a time, uh, and the ascension the uh, first time? Sure. What's well, that? now he's going, it's been 40 days. Mm -hmm. 
He tells him to meet him at the Mount of Olives, yep. which is just east of Jerusalem. If you leave the Golden Gate, it would take you about a mile, and you'd go down through the Kidron Valley and up to the top of the Mount of Olives. And there he met them, and he this is where when we take our groups, we pray the mystery of the ascension, oh, yeah. the rosary mystery of the ascension. And he told them that he has got a plan for them. He expects them to go out and proclaim all of this good news. And then he said, go to the upper room and pray. How long did they pray? Nine days. That's where we get the Catholic novena. Yeah, right. And on the 10th day, the answer came. So everything we do as Catholics is biblical. And so they went up, They he told them to go back and pray, so they did. They went back and prayed for nine days. Mary was with them because Pentecost is the birthday of the church. And if you're going to have the birthday of the church, the mother of the baby has to be there. <laughs> so Mary has to be in the upper room because she's the mother of the church and she's there laboring in prayer to deliver the mystical body of Christ on the day, on the birthday of the church. Okay, but that's where he met them. And then the most incredible thing happens right while he's talking talking to them, he starts going up and he's never done that before. Yeah. He's always been on the ground. <laughs> now it's going up, up, up. And the last thing they see is the bottom of his dirty feet. And he did have dirty feet. And he, that's why they talk yeah. about washing the washing your feet 24 times in the Bible. Because if you walk around there, your feet are always dirty. So he goes up and they see the bottom of his dirty feet. And it said he went up into a cloud. Well, where did he go after he went through the cloud? Go back to Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14 in the Old Testament. And Daniel says, I beheld, I looked into the clouds and I saw one like the son of man coming and he was presented to the ancient of days, the father, and he was given a kingdom which will have no end. That's where Jesus went after he went through the clouds. If they knew their book of Daniel, they would have known where he was going. And by the way, he didn't turn around at that moment and say, oh, and by the way, guys, don't forget to read my book. There wasn't a book. What did Jesus leave behind? He left 12 men, the magisterium of the church, and they taught and practiced, and that became the apostolic tradition. And 400 years later, part of their writings were collected into what we call the New Testament today. The New Testament did not give birth to the church. The church gave birth to the New Testament. Amen. So those who say Bible alone, you better go back and learn your history. This is why I'm calling this show a biblical view of the resurrection, because everything you're saying is right in the Bible. Now, what about this road to Damascus? Now, this is, a, this is an interesting one, because Paul says it, and lastly, he appeared to me. Yeah, I love now, that. Now, this is well after the resurrection and ascension of Christ. Yeah. And But Paul was on the road to Damascus, and I've been at that place. I've been to Damascus, and this spot where Paul was is nine miles east southeast of Damascus, and there's a little chapel built there in the trees called the Chapel of St. Paul's Vision. Mm -hmm. And the Christians in Syria built that little chapel to remember the place where, where Jesus knocked Paul off his high horse, <laughs> knocked him off, and Paul was led into Damascus, not like he thought, with an army and ready to arrest Christians, but he came in as a blind man led by the hand of a young man. And this is a point where Jesus did appear to Saul of Tarsus mm -hmm. and Saul of Tarsus. Do you know, I always tell people, Terry, that 
There was no conversion. We call it the conversion on the road to Damascus. Yeah. There was no conversion. Paul was dedicated to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was ready to die for the God of yeah. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And after he saw Jesus and fell off onto the ground, he got up and he was still ready to serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now he just knew there was a new game plan. Got it. Steve, angels are all throughout the Gospels, the Old Testament, New Testament. It's all there. What about the angels at the tomb? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, that was pretty spectacular because they came and rolled the stone away. This was a big stone. And yeah. the soldiers, one of the penalties for a soldier of not fulfilling his duty Ooh. is that he's executed. Wow. So you don't, if you are given a job of guarding that tomb, you don't go drink a bottle of vodka and take a nap. You know, no. you just don't do that because if you, if somebody that tomb gets open and he comes out or somebody goes in and steals his body, you're going to be dead the next morning because you failed in your duties. But these angels came. There's not a thing those soldiers could do about it. They fell like dead men and the angels rolled the stone away. They went running to their centurion. They told him what happened and they all agreed to pay them money <laughs> to lie about what they saw because they didn't want the resurrection of Christ to be known. And the angel said, why do you come here looking for uh, for the living among the dead? Yep. You're looking for, a. he's not here. This is where dead people are. He's not dead anymore. He's risen from the dead. Go look for him elsewhere. So these angels, they were there to give the first announcement to the disciples of the resurrection of Jesus. Awesome. What about God the Father and God the Holy Spirit? And the well, when you read Scripture, you find that the Trinity always does everything together. That's right. They don't act independently of each other. So it says in Acts chapter 2:24, but God raised him up. The Father raised him up. Romans 8:11 said the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. And in John chapter 2, Jesus said, "I will raise this temple in 3 days. I will raise myself up." So the whole Trinity was there for the resurrection. The Father raised him from the dead. The Spirit raised him from the dead and Jesus raised himself because the Trinity always works in harmony together. Wow. Wow. Awesome. What about these uh, Roman soldiers? You talked a little bit about them with that. Uh, what about with the great earthquake? And the, I, I, you know, these guys, there are times yeah, tell us. where if something like that happens, you'd say, wait, well, wait a minute. Maybe we're on the wrong side yeah, of you this. Think? <laughs> you know, like in the Garden of Gethsemane when yeah. he said, I am. That he's using the divine name. Yeah. Moses said, who should I say sent me? Say, I am. That's my name. Jesus says over and over again, I am. And when he said that, all of those soldiers fell down. Yeah. Now, at that point, I think they should have said, you know what? I think we're on the wrong side of this. Maybe we shouldn't be here arresting this guy, but they still <laughs> did. When those angel, when those soldiers saw the angels come down and roll that tomb away, guess what I'd have done? I'd have been a Christian instantly. I'm no fool. I know I'm on the wrong side of this fight. So I would have done it, but they didn't. They went back and they got paid to tell people that his disciples stole him in the middle of the night. That's what they were told to say. Wow. Steve, you got a, a section here on the souls in Hades, and I think that people get confused about that. Why don't you yep. illuminate 
In the Apostles' Creed, it says, and he descended into hell. Now, all of us, when we hear the word hell, we think it's the place of the damned. It's where Satan and all the evil spirits and all the unbelievers, those who are going to be cast away from the presence of God for all of eternity, they're going to hell. But in the Greek, it is Hades, which doesn't mean the hell of the damned. It means the place, the underworld, the place of the dead that are waiting to be raised from the dead when Christ comes. So in the catechism, it says he, he went down um, into the netherworld. The gospel was preached even to the dead. Right. And so he went and he preached to the spirits in prison, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those who believed but were waiting for the resurrection, for the work of Christ. He went down there and he says, guys, what you were waiting for, I did it. Yeah. It's finished. <laughs> I've come to get you. Guess where I'm taking you guys? You believed, you trusted me, and now I'm taking you all to heaven. That's why he went down to underground to the place of the of the dead, not the hell of the damned. He went down to preach and say to the guys, I did what I promised I was going to do in the Old Testament. I will bring enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he tells them all the prophecies of the Old Testament. He says, and I am the one, and I did it, and now I'm taking you all to heaven with me. So that's why he went down to the teach, uh, preach to the souls in Hades. Thank you for that explanation. I think it's really clear now for everyone. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but I want to give another plug to your website, catholicconvert.com. And Steve, one more time, if people really like the idea of sending young people to the Holy Land with you and your son that are going to affect them for a lifetime, how can people financially support that? Inheritance pilgrimages.com. Awesome. We want to teach young people their Catholic inheritance. We want to take them to the land so they can see it and feel it themselves. Awesome. When we come back, I want to talk about the Blessed Mother at the tomb in the upper room and Mary Magdalene. Oh, and much, much more here on the Terry and Jesse Show. I like to say we're too blessed to be stressed. We're too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money, Steve Ray, Terry Barber, we'd be billionaires because our hope is in the Lord Jesus. Stay with us, family. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Actually, Steve Ray sitting in for Jess this Monday. Wow, I'm getting an education about the resurrection, a biblical worldview of the resurrection with Steve Ray. Steve, let's get into Mary Mag... No, excuse me. Let's get into the Blessed Mother at the tomb in the upper room. What's that all about? Well, we don't know that Mary saw Jesus after the resurrection, mm -hmm. although it is under many most saints and theologians consider it quite certain that Mary saw Jesus at the tomb and during those 40 days. But Mary was in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, and I think it was necessary for her to be there for two reasons. Number one is the disciples were afraid. It says they were afraid of the Romans, but I think they were also afraid of God. When the Jews... When the Israelites were at Mount Sinai, they said, we're going to get to meet God. And Moses said, get around the mountain here. You're all going to get to meet God. He's going to come down and introduce himself. So they all did. God came down in fire, just like he's going to do on Pentecost. And he can, the mountain was quake. I've been to Mount Sinai 10 or more times up there. Yeah. And there's a big granite mountain. And if you can 
imagine the trumpets blasting and getting louder and louder. The trumpets that were ram's horns and the mountain is cracking and rocks are rolling off and there's thunder and lightning. And you got to say, oh, my goodness, you know, the, the Israelites were so afraid of God. They ran away and they hid. And when Moses came down, they said, don't ever let God speak to us again. From now on, you go talk to God and come back and tell us what he says. And now they hear they're going to be on Mount Zion and fire is going to come down again. Don't tell me they weren't afraid. Mary was there to say, guys, don't worry. I've been overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. He's nothing but pure love and joy and peace. You don't have to be afraid of God overshadowing you here on the day of Pentecost. And But we also, the second reason I think is because, like I said earlier, Mary is the mother of the church. She's the mother of the mystical body of Christ. In Bethlehem, 33 years earlier, she was there to give birth to the physical body of Christ. The mother has to be there to give birth to the spiritual body of Christ. And Mary, the mother of the church, was there for the birthday of the church at Pentecost. Wow, that makes sense. What a, You know, again, we're running out of time. I'm going to let you jump because, to me, the other part about the angels again at the tomb, that was another interesting scenario. Can you talk a little bit, Luke chapter... 24 verse 4 about what's yeah, going on there. The angels the angels came more than once and met them there. Yeah. And yeah. they stood there in dazzling apparel. Mm -hmm. And they they're there the word angel means a messenger. Yes. Augustine said if you want to know what they are, they are spirits. Yeah. If you want to know what they are doing, they're angels or messengers. So these spiritual creatures came in the form of dazzling men to announce the resurrection of Christ. So anybody, Terry, if you would have been there that morning, if you and I said, hey, let's go check out the tomb, the angels would have met us there and told us. They were oh. also apostles. They yeah. were there telling everybody that what had happened. So if we'd have gone there that morning before the sun came up, the angels would have been there to tell us. Yeah. It seems like the angels are always there when something is important going on in the life of God. It just seems yep. that way. Yeah. And they also ask a silly question once, too. I think it's the silliest question yeah, in the Bible. When, when Jesus ascended into heaven, uh -huh. the angels came and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up? And I think they said, well, because he's always been on the He just went, why do you mean, why are we looking up? He just went up there. Mm -hmm. But the point was, is that just like you saw him go, yeah. he's going to come back again. Amen. But but that, the angels are always, the angels are there with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. They, they were taking care of him. Angels surround us. Yes. And we, angels are messengers of God. That's what the word angel means. It means messenger. It doesn't mean something with wings. It means a messenger. They are spirits by nature, messengers by vocation. Well said. Now, we have some Thomas the Doubter. We've heard this a lot in our world today. Let's talk about John 20, 24, and 28 about St. Thomas. Yeah, we mentioned him earlier, but Thomas, I think that he kind of represents for us the skeptic of the age, so. the doubter. And the beauty of it is, is that he falls on his knees and he said, my Lord and my God. He was willing when he had the evidence presented to him to recognize, even though he'd been with Jesus for three years. Yes. It wasn't until this moment that he's willing to admit that he's God. So 
this resurrection and appearances of Jesus had a huge impact on these men and the descent of the Holy Spirit also because they were cowards. They were dunderheads. They were fearful. But after the Holy Spirit came and after they saw the resurrection and the proof, yeah. they went out and these men were willing to suffer horrendous deaths and martyrdoms for Jesus. People don't go out and are willing to suffer deaths like that for something they know is a lie. Well, if said. they know it's the truth, they're willing to die for it. I have two more points, and I want to make them in the next eight minutes we got. Uh, St. Matthias took Judas's place, okay, Acts, 20, Acts 1, 21 to 26. Let's talk about that. When Judas Iscariot, mm -hmm. by the way, all of the other disciples from, were from the Galilee area. Yeah. Judas Iscariot's the only one from down in the Jerusalem area. That's an interesting point. So my friend in Galilee says, that's why my all of my friends are from Galilee. I don't make any friends I in the South. I can understand that point of view. I, wouldn't, I don't doubt him. That makes sense. <laughs> but anyway, so Judas Iscariot, um, it, it's... It's just a tragic story that having been with Jesus, he was a crook. It says that he had the money bags and he was pilfering the money. Yeah. He was stealing money from Jesus and the others, and they knew it, and they and he got away with it. Yeah. But then he de he denied Jesus. And you know, there's a, a very silly and sad um, teaching going around, and it was at Oberammergau in Germany. I took two groups to Oberammergau last year, and they present Judas as a hero, wow. that, he, that he denied Jesus because he was trying to make him known. He was bringing the Jewish leaders there to introduce them to Jesus so they could be convinced that he was God and all of these things. And so they turned Judas into a hero. That's the Oberammergau play is what they're presenting now. 20 minutes, oh, 10 or 15 minutes they had give to Judas trying to be remorseful for how his plan went awry. He's trying to reveal Jesus and it turned backwards on him. But anyway, that's not what happened at all. It's totally contrary to the scriptures. And Judas was a bad man who betrayed his Lord and he hung himself. You know, Peter also denied Jesus. Yes, but he had a repentance. But Peter had a repentance That's of right. life. He was willing to repent and have life, where Judas was not willing to repent. He had sorrow. Yes. He yes. had a reaction of sorrow that he would not repent, and he ended up killing himself for it. And Judas, so a man, the, the rule was that somebody who has been with Jesus from the very beginning, who has been witness mm -hmm. to him from the baptism until the resurrection, and they put forth two men, one was named um, uh, Matthias, and the other, I think, was Joseph, yeah. and not Joseph, the mother of uh, father of Jesus, of course. And they cast lots, and people say, "Well, what kind of a way to do is that casting lots?" But that was something the Old Testament had used, and you, and God used the casting of lots, and it fell to Matthias, and Matthias was then made the replacement for Judas. Now, one interesting point: the King James version which has been the fundamentalist Baptist version for 600, 500 years or whatever it is, since 1611, it says that another man, his bishopric must take. In other words, they called Judas. They said his office of bishop needs to be taken by another man. So even the King James Version there recognizes that these apostles were the first bishops. And when Matthias was appointed, he became a bishop. And those are the first bishops that went out and, be, and built a church. And those who followed them were successors of the apostles called the bishops. Steve, I got a question, exegesis question. Here it comes. Uh, the Bible says that it would have been better for Judas not to be born. I'm of the position, okay, myself. It made sense to me that 
that uh, Judas didn't repent, so he's probably in hell. Now, I can't judge that, but based on Scripture, where else could he be? I would agree with you. The church has always been able to canonize saints and yeah. tell us who is in heaven. Right. But the church has never claimed to have the authority or the knowledge to say if anyone no. is in hell. Yeah. There is a big heresy today going around called universalism. Yes. And a lot of bishops and pastors are falling for this universalist heresy, which was condemned uncategorically condemned in the early church. And universalism says that there is no such thing as an eternal punishment in hell. God is way too loving. He may send them for a while to punish them, but in the end, everybody gets saved. Yeah. If you ever hear that, let whoever tells you that, that they are teaching heresy That's because right. it is a total heretical teaching against the teaching of the church. And so I would have to agree with you, Terry, is it better to not be born than to deny Christ like that. And we have no indication of Judas repenting of that. Right. And so I'm not in a position to judge either, but I think two plus two is oftentimes four. Yeah. And I think when we look at the facts, um, they may speak for themselves, though I'm not in any position to say. we got a couple of minutes left, but what I will say that we call it universal salvation. That's commonly what it's called out there, that everyone once saved, always saved. Everybody goes to heaven. It's just uh, wrong. Steve, um, the resurrection bodies of their tombs, Matthew 27, 52 to 53. Let's close with that one. A very bizarre passage. Hmm. It's a very bizarre. It says that at the at the crucifixion, the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints that had fallen asleep were raised from the dead. Yeah. Coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went about in the city and appeared to many. Well, you know, my mother died a year ago on Mother's Day, yep, and my sister died a little while ago. How bizarre would it be to go into town and see my sister and mother walking around? Yeah. And this is what happened in Jerusalem. Yeah. Those saints who had died, and they were not talking sinners here, those who were, died in the friendship of God, it says that they rose from the, it's kind of like, Terry, this resurrection, crucifixion, resurrection of Christ was such a traumatic, seismic adventure, yeah. uh, a, a, a incident. It was so cosmic yes. that it upset nature, yeah. nature, the, the cloud, the sun was blocked, the earthquakes came, rocks shook. And dead people came out of graves. It's almost like it was such a cataclysmic thing, this death and resurrection, that even nature was upset by it. And that, and the kind of the resurrection of Christ was so powerful, it just kind of leached over into other tombs nearby, and they came up out of the tomb. Imagine what it's going to be like when he comes back at the end of time, and all of the tombs are opened up. I think it was a little foretaste of the resurrection, this passage. Awesome. Hey, we are a resurrected people. Hallelujah, brother. Steve Ray. CatholicConvert.com. Thanks for filling in for Jess today. And folks, I want you to go to CatholicConvert.com. Find out all about this great work that Steve Ray and his son is doing to help further the gospel of Jesus Christ. Steve Ray, what state should we be living in? See if you got this one right. Well, not the state of California. You've been talking about that the whole time. But I think the state of grace. That's right. Yep. We should, we should make that the 51st state of the union. There you go, the state of grace. And remember... Our Lady at Fatima said souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices. Steve gave a good, good example of his suffering with his knee replacements. He offered that in union with the sufferings of Christ to help redeem the world. 
Colossians chapter 1, he implemented it. Thank you. Remember, all actions are like blank checks. If Christ's name is on it, it has infinite value. You can unite your sufferings with Christ and, and participate in the salvific work of Christ. Sign me up. May God richly bless you and your family. Thanks again for joining us here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio.